thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of the now of work you know me i'm jess von bank i love hosting conversations in this space for our now of work community and and anyone and everyone who cares about people work business, innovation. I'm so happy today to welcome Dr. Diane Hamilton to our conversation. Diane is the CEO and founder of Tonera. She's going to tell us about the consulting work she does. And we're going to have a really specific conversation around curiosity today. Uh, Dr. Hamilton, thank you so much for being my guest. We started chatting about innovation and sort of the evolution of business and, and the work that everybody is trying to do to transform. And I have like, I have buzzwords I use all the time when I talk about this. Yours uh -huh. is curiosity, which is uh -huh. such a necessary element to help people. I, I, like I talk about growth mindset, for example, but really what it takes for us to get from A to B and, and from a you know, the problems that we have had, the challenges we've been experiencing to sort of new realities to, you know, different solutions than we might have imagined. The common denominator is probably curiosity. So thanks for being my guest. Would you like to say hello and introduce yourself? And I can't I wait really to talk about the curiosity code. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm excited to be here. And you bring up so many important um, ways of considering curiosity, you know, because I mean, growth mindset, Carol Dweck's work was foundational to a lot of the things um, that I studied uh, when I was looking at curiosity. And I have a lot of people who ask me what I mean by that, you know, that word. And really what I was trying to get at growth mindset, curiosity is really getting out of status quo ways of doing things. And as I interviewed probably 12, 1500 people, whatever it was on my radio show, I, I can't tell you how much I kept hearing things that related to just not going with the way things that have always gone. The getting out of Blockbuster, Kodak, well, that worked. We're going to keep doing that to death thinking, right? And so that's what led to my interest. But um, as you mentioned, we know about growth mindset. We know the importance of curiosity. We know a lot of this stuff. What we didn't know was what kept people from being curious. So mm -hmm. that's where my research went because you can take a test and it'll tell you if you have low or high or where you are, you know, on the spectrum. So I have low curiosity. Well, then what am I supposed to do about it? And so that was what drove me to do my research. So is curiosity, uh, let's just back up like one half step. Is it okay. a necessary trait? Is it something we should all seek to, to build if we, if we assess and re realize we're not naturally curious. In fact, we're low on the, the curiosity index. Is that something I should seek to, should, should I be more curious? Well, we're all born curious. So it is a natural trait for everybody. And if you look at the uh, charts of how we change throughout our lives, we peak about age five and then we tank. And same with our creativity, it goes whoop and then goes down, right? And so, you know, you have to be curious as uh, an animal, as a being, if you're a bird and you're flying around a bush and you're not curious, you run out of berries, you're out of luck, you know, <laughs> so you have to explore. So we have this natural uh, sense that we need to find what's over the next, you know, bush to the next bush. But the problem is we have things happen to us in our lives that uh, 
change that sense. But it is important to be curious. There's there's different types of curiosity. I mean, you could have curiosity to get to the next level of Candy Crush might not be so helpful, but you want to have the kind of curiosity that's directed towards a, a, a meaningful goal. And of course, that's really important because if you look at the numbers of people who are in jobs where they're disengaged, uh, they're just feeling like they're just going to work, doing the things that they don't really wanna do. Those are the kinds of people that if you could spark that level of uh, desire to learn something different or to align themselves to something that is more interesting to them, then you have the ability to save companies you know, so much money because we know they're losing more than 500 billion a year based on Gallup's numbers. So that's just, engagement, right? So if we can get very uh, curious people out there doing things that align to their passions, then you have less conflict, people are getting along better because they're doing what they want to be doing. It just, it ties into emotional intelligence. And if you look at all the things that people would hire me and other consultants to speak about, which are usually things like soft skills, uh, leadership, uh, engagement, uh, mm-hmm. emotional intelligence, which I wrote my dissertation on, um, those kinds of things that it's all after curiosity. Mm-hmm. So you have to spark curiosity to improve those things. So yes, it's, it's critical that we get that in the workplace. In fact, one of your book titles, Cracking the Curiosity Code, the key to unlocking human potential tells us the benefit of being curious. You cannot be Uh, You cannot, uh, uh, achieving your fullest potential as a person, Mm -hmm. which also means as a productive worker in somebody's employee, so that that means I can't be all I can be unless I do this, unless I unlock creativity. Some downside naturally comes to mind, and I'm curious (laughs) about your, uh, your reaction to this. Is it if I am always curious, if I, let's say I'm a manager and I have a team of curious people, mm-hmm. uh, which might mean they're, they're taught and groomed and sort of given permission to be always questioning, mm-hmm. always looking to sort of break status quo, always, mm-hmm. you know, thinking two or three steps ahead, perhaps imagination, imaginative mm-hmm. comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there downsides? Like sometimes we just need to be productive and do what we're, what we're, mm-hmm. what we're here to do. Uh, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, you can say it's good to be talkative, but if you never stop talking, <laughs> you're going to drive somebody crazy. So you you have to have, uh, you know, ways of dealing with it. I mean, Google had you take 10 to 20% of your time to explore certain activities. You know, you have different companies that handle it different ways. You had Novartis has Curiosity Month where they have people come in and, and speak. I, I mean, I was one of 180 people, I think, in September when they would have spe- speakers help them learn different things. They had 100 hours a year they uh, would pay for people to get educated in certain whatever they wanted to learn something new. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have companies like SurveyMonkey and Xander Lurie was on the show. We, you know, we were talking about how he changed their address to one curiosity way because they they basically trade in you know surveys and questioning and but you know they'd have skip level meetings they had ways of people communicating it wasn't just you know everybody's running amok it, you do have to have some kind of guidelines you know this is going to be our time when we ask what why not what if kind of things during this hour but during this hour we you know then we put things into you know, progress and we work, work ahead. 
So it, it's a structured kind of thing to some extent, but not completely. You know, you you want to have that sense that, hey, I've thought of something. I don't want to have to wait till our what if meetings, you know, but we don't want people monopolizing conversations to the point where nothing gets done. So we talk about it, what's a reasonable amount and how, what constitutes this kind of input. And I haven't really run into too many companies where they felt it was overdone, where people yeah. just couldn't get things done. You do run into, like I've had Francesca Gino on the show from Harvard and she did the great HBR piece on um, the case, business case for curiosity. And we talked about how leaders think that they're, uh, you know, um, encouraging curiosity in the workplace. And, but if you survey the people who follow them, you don't get the same response. You know, if you, <laughs> so it's usually a disconnect between that. And that's an interesting um, thing because I think a lot of leaders don't recognize the things they say that could inadvertently shut people down. Mm, interesting. That concept you just described, I, I have been known to talk about the allyship gap. Mm -hmm. People who say and right. that they are an ally and uh -huh. beneficiaries or the recipients of allyship don't feel it to the right. same extent. That's a that's a huge gap. Right. Um, and so that so thanks for commenting on that. I think creating the right structure and framework where curiosity can be funneled in a in a healthy and productive way, and then making sure people know that they're empowered, that they're given permission and actually encouraged uh, to be curious. Um, is really interesting to me. One of the other things, so one of the conversations that comes up for us a lot at LeapGen, because we encourage uh, breaking molds and um, unlearning old habits, mm -hmm. we do transformation work mm -hmm. and transformation is never done. You have to accept the fact that you are always evolving. You have to make room for continuous improvement um, create feedback loops. And, you know, we take a design thinking approach to experience design. So this is a great concept for us to apply to the work that we do. The challenge or the feedback that we often get, uh, we get a lot of nodding heads where we mm -hmm. advertise ourselves very openly as transformation evangelists. Mm -hmm. So people don't tend to come to us not ready to transform. Like right, they know right, what they're right. signing they know up what they're, for. Yeah. <laughs> partnered for a reason. Uh -huh. But the number one challenge is honestly um, sort of buy-in and alignment of what that actually means, what that will require in mm -hmm. practice and sort of the trust and alignment and the environment you have to create so that transformation work can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have what we call the digital equation for success, which is 10% technology. And then of course it's people and process design, mm -hmm. but most of that, 35% of that, and sometimes we tweak the percentage, uh, is mindset. It's really mm -hmm. mindset and alignment around vision. And then being willing, you know, sort of building transformation muscle and having an appetite for change so that that work can actually happen. Uh, if you've done true transformation, we always say it, the output doesn't look the same as uh -huh. the inputs. Right, right. And so curiosity naturally, I mean, it comes to mind in, in terms of all of the work that we, that we say and, and the way we coach people to sort of the stakeholders in particular to really be willing to break things 
and to create yeah. an environment of safety and trust that says, we're going to design something new and different. And that requires you to show up in a certain way. How do you cultivate that in leadership in particular? Well, see, I work with a lot of consultants who do similar things to what you're, you're, you're talking about here. And that's why um, when I train the consultants, I either train consultants or companies directly, the HR department, to go through the Curiosity Code Index, which I created, which ties into all the things that you're talking about, which is the things that hold people back from being curious are the basically those things you're talking about right there. So think about all those, uh, the mindsets and the different uh, aspects of what would make people buy in or not buy in if it's the people or the processes or what, what the technology, the percentages you gave, what 10% for technology and all that stuff. Okay. So when you look at what keeps people from being curious, it's four things, right? It's fear. I knew it. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is all four of these are pretty close. I thought fear mm. was going to be way up here too. Okay. So it's fear assumptions so it's that voice in your head what you tell yourself mindset type of things right uh, technology which surprised me a little bit when i was doing that factor analysis i'm like hmm that's interesting you know because it's kind of over and under utilization of it mm. you don't if you don't have the foundation you might not utilize it to its fullest or you might get behind and there's a whole lot of aspects to that and then environment so all the people all your environment everybody around you everybody you've ever known all that influence okay so mm -hmm. when you want to work with a company like this i you know we work with consultants to get them certified so that they can give this it's kind of like giving disc or that type of a assessment where people are taking an assessment and then you go through the results but what they get resolved is to get to that foundational level of what you're trying to get them to as, as i'm hearing what you're saying right we're trying to make sure they understand how to best utilize the technology realizing it's not everything but you know that your mindset and your all these other things are influencing everything as well so we look at how these different sub factors of fear influence you what keeps you back is it this boss you had in the past who told you don't come to me with problems unless you have solutions and so you yeah. go well you know that it, that triggers your um voice in your head to say well i'm not going to say anything this guy just doesn't want to know you know yeah and so we we have a lot of them can overlap like that so fear is really very um challenging because as i said with francesca gino's research people don't necessarily think that they're getting that same openness from leaders. So it has to start at the top. Leaders have to emulate what, you know, the, what they're trying to see. They have to say, okay, I am going to ask a really stupid question right now. Cause I want you guys to all ask what you think are really stupid questions so that you can show that here, I'm not going to be above it all and be saying, do what I say and not as I do. And I think a lot of leaders, you know, the ones I work with realize that the importance of that. So people who are coming to me are just like who are coming to you. They yeah. know they're going to go for a transformation. They're not going to you to sit back and go, well, this is cute, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're getting people who really know that this is what they want. But, you know, a lot of people ask me, what about if they don't know what they want and, and they're not coming to you and you, you know, this mm -hmm. company, what's going to happen? Well, what happens when you get a bad culture like that? I mean, you get the Enrons of the world to have a code of ethics, but they don't follow it, right? And so you have these companies that have these great things on paper, 
but then they catch up to them. So either the company will crash, the leader will crash, something's going to happen that that's going to change. And sometimes people are asking me, should I stay? Should I go? Well, you could stay and take a chance that that person's going to be gone or, you know, what, yeah. whatever's going to happen. Sometimes it's time to cut bait, but mm -hmm. it does have to come from the top. We do have to have leaders recognize that. Well, what they don't sometimes recognize is, you know, you could use the word curiosity, but think of it as the spark to what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, think of it like baking a cake. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're going to bake a cake and that's your end goal. And so you have your ingredients, you have flour and eggs and oil or whatever it is, you're mixing it together and you put it in the pan and you put it in the oven, what happens? Well, you want cake, but if you didn't turn on the oven, you don't get cake, you get right. goo. Okay, so if instead of cake, your goal is productive, successful money making company, that's your cake, you know, your ingredients are motivation and engagement and, uh, you know, all these things, you know, in uh, technology and leadership. And I mean, just name everything that companies struggle with. And everybody's trying to mix all this stuff together, but nobody's turning on the oven. And so the cake's not getting baked. Okay. So we got to go back to the spark to get to all these things that are holding companies back. Yeah. And that's, that's what, you know, I, I mean, when I talk to Sherm or EO or any of these big groups, that's where they're struggling is to see the big picture sometimes mm -hmm. of, of that you have to go right back to what's stopping you. It's so funny when you started saying all of these ingredients that mm -hmm. companies, and I filled in the blank in my head with all of the ingredients companies require. Mm -hmm. And you said, all the ingredients companies struggle with. Mm -hmm. It blows my mind that that is a true statement. Why have we not figured out engagement, well-being, culture, belonging, human performance? And I think, honestly, I'd love your answer. I think we haven't figured out that businesses exist to fuel their people. Right. Fuel right. human performance and you get all of the outcomes. You produce the products and deliver the services, whatever it is that who cares if it's a widget or a Nike shoe or, a, right. or consulting services. Uh, but your job, and I don't know that leaders understand this, your job is actually to fuel people. Uh, and then they'll go do all the amazing things you ask them to do. Well, I think, you know, I, one of the people I interviewed, uh, Olin Odekoven is the, the um, CEO of Peregrine, which is an education company that you, they test you when you're in college to make sure you've learned what you're supposed to learn. But he yeah. hires um, people because he sees something in them, but he doesn't have a job description yet. Yes. He just goes, oh, this person's going to be good at something in my company. I could tell. And then he lets them explore around within the company. Yeah. And then he builds a job description around the things that that person excels at. And then he has incredible engagement because people are doing what they're passionate about and what they're great at. And unfortunately, we do it the other way and a lot of times, and we just kind of force a square peg into a round hole. And if we could let people design where their peg fits yes. <laughs> a little bit more, I know we don't have the luxury. I mean, everybody's got, somebody's got to clean the toilet. Somebody has to do some of the bad stuff. We understand yeah. that, right? Yeah. But if we can get things, I mean, I loved paperwork. People hate paperwork, but I loved it. You know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. going to be people who love the things that ever, so other people hate. Yeah. So you just have to find the right combination sometimes by letting people explore. You know, Disney had really bad turnover in their laundry division. Think of a job you wouldn't want to do. Laundry is not fun. You know, it's even at Disney, it's not great, right? So they were losing all these people and they thought, well, let's just ask them, how can we make your job better? 
and thinking, you know, they're going to say, buy me a car or whatever, you know, and they just figured nobody's going to give them anything that really we yeah. could do. But they did. They gave them really, really good things like uh, put an air vent over my desk so it's not so hot, make my desk go up and down so my back doesn't hurt when I'm folding or whatever. And they dramatically improved turnover. Wow. So just going to people and asking them simple questions sometimes can just make all the difference. And so that's why when I train people uh, to figure out what it is that's stopping them and they create this you know, personal kind of SWOT analysis and they do these SMART goals and they get all fixed of what they're going to do to fix themselves. The second part of the training I do with them is I get them to do all the things that companies are struggling with. The, the leader might have said, we're, we're having problems with communication, we're having problems with engagement, innovation, whatever their top th things are. Like Disney, you go to the employee, the horse's mouth, mm -hmm. and how would you fix this? How would you improve curiosity to improve these issues for the company and not for you, but for the company? Yeah. And then we whiteboard all these different ideas and they, we come together with a great report that's anonymous because you know a lot of people don't want to be the person behind the idea because hey, they'll just give you the head of that committee and not pay you. And then, <laughs> well, you know, that's just more work. So, so that's what their ideas are going on in their head, right? So that's why some people don't uh, volunteer ideas when they're, it's not anonymous. So when we find out what people really think, then you get this to leaders and leaders get to see, huh, okay, this is basically like the Disney thing. We know what employees really think yeah. and we can do something about this. You're reminding me of Kroger, one of my former customers. I mm. had the responsibility of bringing recruiting software to life for companies at one point in my talent career um, and being so ingrained in their culture and their team for, for so long as we sort of transformed the way they recruit people, I became aware of their million dollar idea concept. Mm -hmm. It was part of their culture. It was a well-known part of their culture. If you worked at Kroger, anyone and everyone was encouraged to submit a million dollar idea. It could be something so simple. What could right. save us a million dollars on our bottom line? And one of the example, I thought, what a talk about spurring curiosity and <laughs> handling like a suggestion box for employees. How incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so one of the ideas that was submitted to save Kroger a million dollars, and it did, was a document that didn't need to be printed anymore. Can you imagine like yeah. a document? No, I believe it printed anymore. And so I think we also need to remind ourselves and remind people um, that innovation and, you know, we mm -hmm. transformation is such a huge word, such a huge concept, but small things, incremental small things, things I, you know, I, I was just um, interviewed for um, HBR for uh, Josh will appreciate that since he's from Harvard. Um, yeah. It was uh, talking of, uh, about uh, curiosity in our interview and um, I was sharing that uh, the story of um, this hybrid bike company was mm. trying to uh, decrease their um, the cost associated with shipping their hybrid bikes in the in you know UPS or whatever they were sending it, and they kept breaking and they couldn't figure out how to get this down this this percentage because they didn't want to spend much more money on packaging. I mean, you could double the packaging, but then you're doubling your costs and, and they just didn't have that. So they decided to think of kind of outside the box. I hate that term, but okay. So they decided to look around and see what else is shipped in a similar container to this. And what they found was uh, flat screen TVs were shipped in almost exactly the same box and they wow. weren't breaking nearly as much. And they're thinking, well, what's up with this, right? 
so they looked at the box and really there was only one big difference between them. And it was the flat screen box had a picture of a flat screen TV with inked on it. Mm-hmm. And they thought, well, let's spend a couple pennies, <laughs> see what happens if we print a flat screen TV on our box. What do you think happens? You know, wow. yeah, they dramatically improve breakage. So it doesn't have to be in your industry. Uh, I, I, in my book, I wrote about a hospital that went to a Formula One race car team to have them come in to help them work on efficiency. Oh, I love it. You know, they're watching them take the car apart in seven seconds, put it back together, but they can't move a patient from here to here, right? So yeah. why not get outside of your cubicle, get outside your, your you know, division and your silo or whatever you're stuck in and get outside the industry sometimes. Yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of companies, uh, only look at what their competitors are doing, or they they hold on to tried and true, like Kodak did or Block, Blockbuster did, right? But you know, if you look at something like Ben and Jerry's, they have ice cream flavors that you could have just said, "Oh, this is what we're going to have forever because it's the best ice cream ever." You have to have, you know, pumpernickel, pecan, or whatever it is. Something that yeah. <laughs> somebody wanted. And it, it, maybe it was great for a little while, but then people are like, yeah, I don't want that anymore, right? So instead of making you have to keep loving this ice cream and trying that, they um, give it a burial on their website. If you go to their website, you can see little headstones and you know they, they say, hey, we'll celebrate this. This was a great ice cream. And we loved it from this year to this year. And hey, we put it to rest. And I don't think enough people put things to rest because, yeah. you know, it, it's just not working in the new technology. It's not working in the new generation. It's not working in the new whatever, right? Yeah. I love that concept. There's so many things I want. Josh knows I'm famous for throwing everything out the window. I, I get pulled into these uh-huh. advisory calls with customers around their talent strategy, and I blow everything up. I literally pull the pin out of every grenade. And it's t- sort of like mm-hmm. I apologize a little bit, but not really because <laughs> I know I didn't give you an answer. Or I gave you an answer that's hard, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, my first question for every organization having recruiting challenges right now, which is my background, uh, is what is your talent strategy? Mm-hmm. And I'm met with a blank stare. Mm-hmm. I'm deer in headlights. Well, uh, <laughs> we're, we're working on that. Well, you better have an answer because I think every candidate sitting in your interview chair right now probably wants to know what your plan is for them. Right. Right. What are you well, going to do with me? Why do you deserve me? How are you mm-hmm. going to develop me? Uh, where do I go from here? And it's okay not to have an answer, but there should be a general plan. This is what we do with people in our business. Mm-hmm. Do we Have we created a culture of mobility where you get to work on lots of interesting projects? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it one defined ladder or there's no ladder? I mean, that's your talent strategy if you don't have one, <laughs> you know, right. yeah. it's sort of lack of a plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, <clears throat> yeah. What a fantastic, fantastic conversation. Um, I know that you have lots of resources available for people. Um, and so we're gonna make sure that we link to all of those in the show notes, uh, including the curiosity code. People can go out and self-assess, is that right? Yes, you can. And then where do they go from there? What, no, what yeah. do they do when they know sort of where they fall on the curiosity index? Well, the thing with the curiosity code index is it gives you a 
point of this is where you are in these aspects of fear. This is where you are in these aspects of assumptions, technology, and environment so that you can create within the um, framework that we give you and your the PDF that you get back, you have uh, the ability to learn how to create kind of a personal SWOT analysis, which was, you know, looking at your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and threats, and then you would be able to create it SMART goals. So it, uh, similar to when you're doing an engagement survey, you would, you know, weekly come up with how are we doing in progress and, and different ways of measuring how you're achieving these goals? Because once you can get past certain things, you can, uh, you can see what the next plan, you know, plan looks like. So it's, it's a whole plan that you can get when you take the curiosity code index and that's at curiositycode.com. But uh, you can also get, if you go to drdianehamilton.com, it's there as well, but you can get a free chapter of the book. If you want to learn a little bit more about curiosity, the curiosity code index goes along with the book, but you don't have to have them together, but it, it does help their complement each other to explain the value of curiosity and then to take the assessment. Well, your work uh, and your voice is super, super timely and super relevant. Uh, I'm a firm believer that if we're not careful and intentional, we'll backslide. We'll backslide and we'll naturally sort of gravitate and maybe even yearn for the way things were because that feels comfortable. It feels easy. So much has been disrupted. Uh, we miss some rituals um, and, and sort of just knowing, knowing how to operate, right? Um, right. And so if we're not careful, we will backslide because that feels like the easier thing to do. But but the way things were when it comes to people and work and culture and performance, like too much has changed. That's not even an option anymore. And so I think the way to be careful of that is to constantly remind ourselves and sort of build in some of those smart goals and those gut checks and those check-in points to say, am I looking for new answers? Am I looking for a different, better way to do things? Can I imagine a future that's better and improved over where we were at? When I said there's some things I wish I could put to rest, I would bury them if I could. <laughs> job profiles and job descriptions and resumes and the way we did a clumsy job of matching, you know, to your yeah. example, matching people to to small boxes of jobs. Like bury it. Let's have yeah. a yeah. <laughs> let's have a burial. Have a funeral for us. Yep. I, let's I agree. reimagine, you know, the role that people can play and the and the value they can deliver to business. Uh, so thank you again, Dr. Hamilton, for being our guest on the Now of Work. Uh, really love your work and uh, thanks for such a great conversation.